Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Thank you, Pastor Alex. Thank you, team. Greetings to our online Facebookers. Praise God, you can be here when you can't be, but if you could be, perhaps you should be. Amen. Acts chapter 9. Uh, men, I want to encourage you to be a part of that men's encounter. If you've not gone ahead and uh, participated in one of those, you want to do that this time. And uh, if we have enough people, we'll continue to have that. And this is just a week, really a week away. Sometimes the timing of things doesn't work out. So if we don't have enough people to sign up for that, we'll just do it later. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, good. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. New King James Version. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, and you'll notice it's capitalized, the way is one of the names of the church. He found any of the, the way. In other words, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So early Christians called themselves the way of the way, whether man or woman, they might be brought bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. Boy, I bet that was a shock. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand. In other words, when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. They led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, in a what? In a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and acquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is my chosen vessel, the chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. 
then spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? And Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. That must have been a big basket, or he was really small. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Come and move in power tonight in Jesus' name. May we never be the same. We give you all the praise. Amen. Slap two or three people high five with me. Come on, say hi to two or three people. Say, this is your night. And you may be seated. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. There's moments that come in your life, and when those moments come, they change you, they mark you, they do something in your life that change your life forever. God wants to give you a moment like that tonight. God wants to touch you in such a way tonight that you'll remember this night, mark it on your calendar, that was the night. That was the night that something changed for me. In history, there's been many moments like that where there was a historic moment, a shift that took place. It literally changed world history. You know, the D-Day in World War II. And you, you could go on and list all of the historical events. I'll tell you, the greatest historical event in all of history that ever has been, I was going to say there ever will be, but he's coming again, so that's going to be pretty historic when he does, is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most significant moment in all of history. And we look at this life of Saul, who got touched by the Lord in such a way that it changed everything about him. So I want you to just take a, a, a bit of a journey of what his life was like before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. My wife prayed, give them road to Damascus encounters. She prayed that for our loved ones. What a great prayer that is. In Philippians chapter 3, you can turn there, Philippians 3, it talks about what kind of guy this guy was. We, we read in Acts, we'll talk about that in a moment, what kind of man Saul was. He was a zealous man. He had given his life for, for God, but he didn't realize that God had sent his only begotten son. He didn't realize that Isaiah 53 talked about the suffering servant and the suffering servant had come, walked the earth, raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers. And he's actually persecuting this group called the way. In, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Now this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he calls himself blameless. I, I don't think anybody here would be so arrogant to call yourself blameless. 
except for the blood of Jesus that makes you blameless. This guy was blameless. He declared himself to be blameless. This is the life of the apostle Paul and his conversion that we read. So prior to his conversion, prior to his road to Damascus encounter, he was blameless concerning the law. That means he kept the Ten Commandments. He lived with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul for the Lord as he understood it. As he was taught, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, taught by the greatest scholar that there was, Gamil. And it's kind of amazing that a man like this, raging against the church, he hated the followers of Christ. Hated them. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 20, it says, When the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there. Now, the Acts 22 is him giving his testimony again. He says, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Wow. So he stood there giving his full approval while people laid their garments. Would you watch my coat for me? And he stood there while they picked up rocks and bounced them off of Stephen's skull. As Stephen preached one of the greatest messages in the New Testament, and I would encourage you to read it. It's Acts chapter 7. You can go there, Acts 7. Go to Acts 7. Stephen preaches, confounding all of their wisdom, so much so that they just can't take it anymore and have a demonic manifestation. That's what happens. See, they, they're gnashing their teeth. Here, we'll read it. Verse 54, Acts 7. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know if anybody's seen that before. I've seen the gnashing of somebody demonized, gnashing their teeth. So angry, so frustrated, so hateful and spiteful towards God and towards anybody who would be connected with them that literally looked like they were chipping their teeth off in their mouth. That's what gnashing your teeth is. It's ugly. It's an ugly thing. And so they're, they, they're gnashing their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at, not sitting, standing at the right hand. So here's Stephen preaching like a house on fire, confounds all of their wisdom, all their academia, academia, all their academics, all their intelligence, all their studying, confounds all of it, blows their mind with the power demonstration of God, so much so that it, he's shining. They say that his face looked like an angel. And so when they get so mad and they can't take it anymore, they pick up rocks and they're stoning him. While that happens, Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand, where is Jesus? He's sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is like, yeah, you know, that's right. That's my boy right there. Jesus stands up and is like, oh, yes. And he dies with these stones. He look up and saw, saw heaven open verse 56 of Acts 7. Jesus, the son, the son of man, standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the Saul that we're reading about here in Acts chapter 9, telling his story. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And here's the great intercessor, Stephen. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, hold this sin. Not, do not hold this sin against him. And when he, he said this, he fell asleep. Everybody say he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He said, Wouldn't it be so horrible to be a, a martyr? Martyrdom is the gift you give once. You don't get to give that multiple times. It's just one life man is given, then the, then the judgment. So a martyr gives her life once. 
And, and in fact, the, the root word of witness is to really be a martyr. And I don't think it's so awful. I, I have zero desire to be martyred, believe me. I've heard people say, I want to be a martyr. Well, then live today like you're dead to the world and live for Christ with all your heart. Just, just be martyred in your flesh right now and, and live like that. There's no way you can be a martyr for the Lord if you're constantly caving into all of, your, all of the, the, the tantalization of our dying, dead culture that wants to swoon you and suck you into perversion and lust and greed and, and pride. There's no, if you can't die to that stuff, well, what makes you think you're going to live for Jesus when someone puts a, a, a broadsword to your throat or threatens you. I don't think you can. You gotta, you gotta, everybody say, just be a martyr now. Yeah, to die to your flesh now. See, there has to be a, I don't, I haven't given you notes on purpose. I usually give notes, not tonight, but I'd encourage you to take them. There has to be a paradigm shift, a paradigm shift in our walk with the Lord. I've heard people even recently say, it's just so hard to be a Christian. And I really have no understanding of that. And it's not, even a, it's not even a scriptural concept. The Bible says that heart is the way of the transgressor. Heart is the way of the sinner. He's come that we might have life and life to the full. I'll tell you what's hard. You know what's hard? Being a carnal Christian. Being a Christian that, that, that loves God with half of his heart, but the other half is in the club. Loves, loves, loves the Lord with part of, his, part of him, but the other part of him is riding the fence. I mean... Come on, gentlemen, you're riding a fence. That fences aren't, that doesn't sound fun to me. One foot on the, one foot in the world, one foot in, that looks like, you know, I, I can't do a split right now. Can, maybe you can, but I will tell you, you can't do a split spiritually. You can't live for God and live, and, and live for the world. You can't have both. You can't hold on to the money and, and the kingdom. You can't have two masters, Jesus said. You'll love one, despise the other, despise the lover, despise the other, and hate Hate the one. You, you, you have to have a whole undivided heart for God. That process is called sanctification. That, that, that doesn't just happen. The day you give your heart to Jesus, bam, fried chicken, and it's just all good. It's not all good. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend. you got to renew your mind. For Come on, you got to change and get your heart healed. You, out of it flows the issues of life. You have to renew your mind and learn to think God thoughts. You have to take every thought captive and make it obedient. You think stupid things, you're going to end up in a stupid place. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Hang out with somebody who's broken, busted, disgusted. Welcome to the broken, busted, disgusted life. Want to talk about how bad it is and how ugly it is and how hopeless it is? Welcome to the bad, ugly, hopeless club. You want to declare the goodness of God in the land of the living? Then you do that and you'll begin to walk in it. You'll begin to walk in power, walk in authority, walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Somebody say hallelujah. That's what I have. And when I don't have it, I declare it, I preach it, I prophesy it. I'll have my wife lay hands on me. I'll do whatever I need to do to live in that place. God wants you to encounter him in such a way that you'll let go of your old life. Saul got touched and hit so hard it knocked the S off and put the P on. And I believe that if you were to end up being martyred, the glory of God would be revealed to you. I don't think, I don't think that Stephen suffered much. I see the glory of God. I see Jesus. I mean, the heavens parted. They're like, come on home. Yeah. It's the first martyr. Yeah. And whew, 
He fell asleep. Yeah, he fell asleep. It doesn't say he died. Because for the believer, there is no death. That's why the psalmist said, where is thy death? Oh, oh, where is thy sting, O oh, death? And Jesus said, you know, come on. He, he, he took the keys of hell and death. Death is an enemy, and it's not an enemy for us as believers because we fall asleep when we die if you're saved, if you're born again. If you're not born again, we can remedy that by the end of the service tonight. You must be born again. So what happened on the road to Damascus? What was, what was Pastor Karen praying? Lord, give them road to Damascus encounters. What happened on the road to Damascus? And we go look at the text tonight. And we see that a light shines around him. And he hears a voice. He, he falls to the ground. I mean, it's pretty dramatic. And it's not a psychological experience or just a physical experience. What's interesting about his story as he testifies is that there are others who also heard the voice. There's others who heard the voice, but he's the one that God spoke to directly. We don't really know who was traveling with him. We don't know that they've become converts. We don't really know what happened. We don't know. We, it must have been freakish for them. He's traveling with a group of people. All of a sudden, the, the, the killer, the persecutor of the way is not going after them anymore. He's mumbling, Jesus, 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 I can't see. Jesus, Jesus. And they, and they took him by the hand. There's something wrong with this boy. He's he going to kill all the Jesus people, and he become one of them himself. I mean, it had to be pretty dramatic. Can you imagine being the, the, can you imagine being the, the soldiers at the tomb of Jesus? Can you imagine when the, the earthquake or the thing rolls away and they must have just soiled themselves? <laughs> Terrifying experience. It was a moment for Saul, and Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. It was a moment for Saul that could not be explained any other way except for the fact that he saw the risen Savior. There's no way to explain Saul, who was so zealous, so on fire, casting his agreement with the death of the first martyr. He was the, the up-and-come leader of, of the Jewish, of Jews, really. Their finest, their finest educated this is the man. This is, maybe he'll end up being the high priest or something. I mean, this guy was amazing on his fast track to success in Judaism. And all of a sudden, he throws it away, and all he can say is, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We don't know what he said, but he's blind. They know that, and they lead him by the hand of Damascus. I'm sure he was telling him, take me to Damascus. Don't take me to any other place. Something happened in Saul's life. And I would venture to say what happened to him has got to happen to you. And until it does happen, you're going to have a hard time really living with all your heart for God. Come on. Right. When is the moment that you got to, I'm, are you talking about salvation? Sure, I'm talking about salvation, but I'm also talking about something more than salvation. Is there anything more than salvation? Yeah, there's a fresh baptism of fire. There's visitations, there's visions, there's dreams. Come on, you're supposed to go from glory to glory. I, I heard somebody say, you know, the, the Christian life is not only hard, but it's boring. I, I think we're serving two different gods. I, 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 boring. Boring? It's exhilarating, I would say that. Now, you get a mixture of the world and you get confused in your mind. It can be boring. It can be dangerous. It can be painful. It can be hard. But when you're living with all your heart, mind, soul, and, 
and strength for the Lord. And that's a daily thing that we all have to choose. I, I said this uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a national meeting of our U.S. churches today. We were talking about being corrected. Listen, if the Lord didn't correct you today, you have to check yourself. Now, he messes with me so much. Am I the only one? Yeah, because that's because I'm his son. I am a son. He, it's my heavenly father. I'm his son. And when you have a relationship with your heavenly father and you're a son and you're a daughter, you're going to get trained. You're going to get corrected. No, 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 no. Watch, watch that. Watch that. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Watch that. that. Easy now. Eat. Whoa, whoa. Pull the reins in a little bit. Right, right. That's the flesh. Sorry. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, thank you, Lord. Walk past a piece of trash. This happens to me so much. I don't know what the deal is. You know what? I heard a sermon. I don't know what the deal is. I heard a sermon that said, if you, if you ever see a staff member or a pastor or someone in ministry walk past trash, a piece of trash on the property or in the church building and they walk right by it, you can just wait for a backslide is soon to be coming. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to go about So now if I see it, I don't always see it. Isn't that right, Pastor Karen? That's right. Right. <laughs> and all the men said, yeah, I get Jesus. I swear, I don't know what happens. I've, I, I've had a road to Damascus experience every time my wife tells me to get something out of the fridge. I just, I'm blind for three days. I don't know what the deal is. I just open it up. I'm like, and I, I kid you not. Am I the only one like, ah, okay. And I'm like, first shelf. First shelf from the back, well, from, the, from the back, all the way to the front. Thank you, thank you. No, and it's not their second shelf. And I'll work all the way through, and I'm like, I'll get done with the shelves, and I'm like, drawer, you know, door. I'll work the door. And then, and then I'll be like, it's got to be in the drawer. You know, I look at that, and it's still not there. And then my wife has to get up, and she's like, really? There's a scripture that says, to him, to him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Now listen to that. To him who knows the good he ought to do. Is that James? To him who knows the good he ought to do and he doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Let's all say that. To him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is so that means if the Lord speaks to you to wipe something up, pick something up, do something that's like not specifically in the word to bless somebody, give somebody a Pentecostal handshake. That's like flip them for 50 bucks and bless them, tell them you love them, whatever, and don't let anybody else know or, or, or to pay for somebody's light bill or to pick up a piece of trash. When the Lord speaks to you, if you, if you fight that, then it's sin. So he'll mess with me frequently while I'm walking past trash or something like that. And I'll walk past it. It's, it's 10 steps behind. He's like, you know you ought to get that. I'm like, God. Oh. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? The Lord appeared to Saul, changed him so much so that he let go of all of his commission to persecute the way, abandoned all of that, and was led by the hand to a city called Damascus. 
And there's no way to explain that for this, except for the fact that he met Jesus. There's no way to explain Peter, who's a cursing sailor, denying the Lord three times, goes into an upper room for 10 days, comes out and preaches until 5,000 people get saved. What happened to the cursing, fearful sailor, the fisherman? What happened to him? Something happened to the boy. Something beyond an intellectual ascent. Something beyond his, his finite mind. God met him, touched him, filled him with fire. Listen, you need that. We need that. We don't need a bunch of cool Christians. We need fire-filled, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled, passionate. Listen, Christianity is passion-based. It should not be so much discipline-based, although there are seasons you best discipline yourself. It should be driven by a... Listen, you don't have to convince me to take my wife on a date. We're going to take a date. The next earliest possible opportunity will be going out. Amen. I get to hold her hand later. You don't have to get twist my arm to do that. I could do it right now, as a matter of fact. If somebody has to twist you to read the word or twist you to go to church, there's something wrong with your discipleship. I gave up long time ago arm-twisting discipleship. Arm twisting is like, oh, please, listen, please, you got to come to church. Now, I know the devil's a liar, and, and we have a whole department called a connect department that goes out and visits and prays for people because we know that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and we're going we're gonna to do our very best to, to, to help you grow and walk in Jesus and love on you and be a personal, powerful, permeating church. We're going to do our best to do that, but really there has to come a time when you grow up and you start serving God with all your heart by yourself and start confessing confessing who you are in Christ and get your identity in him and get healed and get whole. And somebody has to constantly convince you to read the word. I think you need an encounter like, like Saul. He had a revelation that he was chosen. If you look at verse 15 and 16, look with me in the text. The Lord said to him, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. He had a revelation that he was chosen. I want to give you a revelation tonight. If you're not dead, then God has a plan for you. And once you're dead, it's over. But if you're not dead, then God has a plan for you. You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, keep going through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, keep walking. Don't pitch your tent. Don't bring your camper out to the valley of the shadow of death. Don't stay in the valley of shadow of death and make a little campfire and hope it's... A Just keep going. Keep believing. Keep pressing. Keep, keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep giving. Keep connecting with people. Keep confessing yourself. And move through into, into a place of promise. Move through into a place of hope. Move through into a place of fulfillment. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. That's the plan. The devil has a plan too. You don't want his plan. You do want God's plan. For I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, a famous scripture for many. He had a revelation. Saul had a revelation that God had a purpose and a plan. And it was revealed to him. You know, without a purpose, you'll be aimless. Without vision, my people perish. Without, you listen, you have to have, what is your life all about? And really, the, the, the chief end of man is to love God and to, to, and to love mankind. I mean, that really is it. Love God and be a deliverer of men. That's what we're called to do. Conversion is a real experience. Do you remember when you got saved, if you're saved? 
Do, do you remember what that was like? Do you remember praying that prayer or however it happened for you? I've known people that didn't know anybody that was saved. They just read the Bible and all of a sudden they just started realizing, man, I need God. And they just said, God, I need you. Oh, I'm sorry. Boom. Saved. When I received the Lord, I, I was overwhelmed by the amount of crosses. It was, it was, it was almost like I was hallucinating, but I knew I wasn't. I was, I was, the things of the spirit were open to me and every telephone pole all up and down the streets were crosses, crosses everywhere. They were on the front door. They were on, on the sides of the street. Everywhere I looked, I saw crosses on people's necks. I saw them everywhere. I, they were there before, but I never saw them until the scale was, scales were lifted from my eyes and I began to realize who Jesus was. I've heard about the cross. I grew up as a Catholic before I became a Presbyterian, before I became a Buddhist, before I became a pagan, before I got born again. I mean, I saw the cross my whole life. My parents had a cross, you know, that 1950s picture, you know, then they had the picture of Jesus. And then they had the cross over their bed. It's like in the 50s, every married couple had a cross over their bed. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Irish Catholic, I grew up with that. I saw a cross, but they didn't mean anything to me. The cross meant nothing to me until I got saved and I realized, oh my God. There was a, a, a young couple who had a, a, a boy who was in elementary school, and he was kind of a troublemaker, and they were, they were an upper, upper family. Sociologists say there's lower, lower, then there's lower income bracket, then there's lower middle, there's middle, middle, upper, middle, then there's lower, upper, middle, upper, <laughs> and upper, upper income levels. They were upper, upper. Do you understand? Okay. So they had a boy who couldn't quite function in the school that he was in. He's in a private school. He was constantly giving the teachers a difficult time. And he had a really hard time in math. Really hard time. So they got together and they found a Catholic school. And they enrolled the boy in Catholic school. And from the first day that this young lad, I think it's eighth grade, something like that, seventh grade, they weren't a religious people. They didn't go to church, never knew anything about it. From the first day he goes to school, he comes straight home, gets, has an armful of books, goes straight up to his room, studies for three hours. They have to get him to come down to eat something. He goes to bed and goes back to school. And this happens the entire semester. When the grades come, he's got straight A's, but in, in math, he has an A plus, plus. And so they sat down, they had a family meeting. How many of you had like those family meetings? You like those sit down, family meeting, sit down at the table. They sit down and the father says, son, we got your grades and we are, we're very pleased. You've done exceptionally well. But in math, which was your worst your worst class. You, you, you had such a hard time in math and we couldn't get you to study. You got an A++. He said, yeah, yeah, I know, Dad, I know, yeah. He said, well, how, how did that happen? I mean, what was it? Was it the teaching didactic? Was it, what was it? What was it about the school that caused you then to so excel in math? He said, well, it's none of that stuff, Dad. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just know that when I first got to school and I looked up and saw they nailed that man to the plus sign, I said, I'm going to get good grades. 
nailed the man to the plus sign. He knew they were serious about math, okay? So if you didn't get that on the way home, there you go to that guy. The cross is central to Christianity. And really, the apostle Paul, he... He didn't, he didn't get it. He was worshiping God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, but he was worshiping God in a way that was not the new revelation or the fulfillment of what he was worshiping. And he had a revelation of the plan for his life to, to bear the cross, to suffer for Christ, and to bring the power of God to a lost and a broken and dying world, to be a chosen vessel. You know, all of us are called to be chosen vessels. Did you know that? If you carry the message of the good news of Jesus, you're a chosen vessel. Also interesting to me that he is helped by this man, Ananias, and I've preached messages on him. We never hear about him again. He's a, someone who paid the price in his discipleship to be able to hear the voice of the Lord to say, go and minister to the terrorist. Go minister to the terrorist who's come to kill you. I've revealed myself to him and he's able to hear him. And at the same time, Saul has a, has a, a vision of Ananias as well. And Ananias trusted the Lord, knew the Lord enough, knew his voice enough to obey and to walk and knock on the door of, of where the terrorists are staying. Let me bring that to bear. You, you not only need a, an encounter with God, you need relationships in the house. You need relationships with people to make it. Got a powerful word at the prophetic conference. Simply ain't gonna happen without people helping you. Right? I heard it. I was standing there. They said there's a church in you. Good. Let's get it out. It's a church in you. Man, what does that look like? I don't know, but it's good. We want that. Amen. Right? You need relationships. We need each other. It wasn't just Saul. You see the halo? Can you all see that? It's not really a halo. It's a sheen coming off the top of my skull, which all my bald brothers know about. Come on, give me an Amen. He needed help. No man can serve God alone. There are seasons of being alone, but you need to build relationships in the house. I wish I had heard this. I know it was said, but it took me a little while to get what I was, what I was listening to become in the, my hearing and become faith because I didn't really like people at first. When I first got saved, I didn't really want to be around anybody. Listen, you can't serve God by yourself. The whole monastic movement was an error in that if you, if you hide the gospel, I mean, you, you can't put the lamp under a bushel. You can't, you can't do that. But thank God for the monastic movement. God turned it for good. And if it wasn't off of the monastic movement, then the word of God wouldn't have been preserved through the dark ages. I mean, you do a little study. You know, monks, monastic movement. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. But that, that's the monastic movement's over. There's times where you draw away and... Uh, have solitude and that's you and the Lord, but you have to develop relationships. You got to find a place of worship. You know, the other thing with relationships, accountability too. You need accountability. We all need accountability. You got to find a place of worship. You know, he went to the synagogue, he hung out, he was in fellowship. And the last thing you see from this is that you, that I, I don't want you to miss is you could be deceived. See, see, Saul was deceived. He was deceived. He had not received the Lord Jesus and was in fact persecuting the church, which is an interesting concept. Persecuting the church, meaning 
He's going around to kill all the Christians. It's called the church. It's not one particular church. Well, it is in that it's the body of Christ. But the persecution of the body of Christ is seen by the Lord as a persecution of him. Saul, Saul, who, who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now let's think about that for a second. So when you talk about the church down the street, maybe, when you talk about, you know, one of the things that irritates me, I, you don't, well, you hear it in Pentecostal circle, circles picking on those that aren't filled with the Spirit or whatever. So don't do that. Don't do that. I said don't do it. That's not God. And in, in the same way, they, they shouldn't pick on tongue-talking Pentecostals either. There, there are things that happen in the body of Christ that need to be called out and need to be confronted. There are her, heresies. There is false teaching that needs to be confronted. But I wouldn't dub yourself the spiritual police. I love Baptists. I love anybody that loves God and doesn't destroy the Godhead. Period. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Don't destroy that. That's intact. Intact. Everything's good. Now there's controlling places. There's places. Look, this is not a perfect church. I know it might not be shocking for some of you. If you find a perfect church, be sure that you don't go there. Because you'll ruin it. Because mankind is not perfect. And you know, he drops us in the soil of relationships so that we can work out all our little rough edges. And you'll have the, they have the person that bugs you or irritates you. Or, yeah, that's a divine assignment. Look at your neighbor and say, you're on, you're on divine assignment. Yeah. You can have divine assignments when you're driving. You're driving and somebody's doing 25 and a 50 and you can't get about it. It's a divine assignment. Just tap on the patience and Love, joy, peace, patience, right? You have the person that just irritates you at work. I forget what movie. It was some football movie. And there's this, there's this um, redneck guy from the, some Appalachian Trail somewhere. and He's listening to some offbeat country music that he just loved, you know? Any country music fans out there? I, I enjoy country music. Not, not all of it. I especially like the Christian stuff. And the guy that's listening to it, he's just like being tormented in pain. And the country guy says, uh, remember the Titans. The country guy says to, says to him, is this all right or what? He says, does cruel and unusual punishment mean anything to you? He's being tormented by country music. Listen, you're all on divine assignment. And when you come into contact with people that irritate you, bug you, and chap your hide, he's a balm in Gilead. Come on, somebody say, <laughs> chapped balm. Get it? Balm, chap. Okay. Saul was deceived. So I ask you, are you deceived? The hard thing about deception is when you are deceived, you don't know it. Hence the word deception. Let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, 
and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For I say, for you say, I am rich. Listen to this now. This is a perfect picture of a stronghold. You say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing, but you say not realizing. Not realizing that you are wretched, <laughs> miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now hold the phone a second. How is it that a person can actually think that they're rich, prospered, and blessed, but from God's perspective, they're poor, wretched, blind, and naked? It's like the way that they feel in their heart is completely the opposite of the way that he sees them. That is a terrifying thing. You know that, that, that text where he says, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? He said, ah, get away from me. I never knew you. The word knew is, is a very intimate word. Very intimate. So somehow Saul, on his way doing what he felt was to be do his calling, was deceived. He was wretched, poor, blind, and naked before the Lord. And when the Lord revealed himself to him, he broke and realized, oh my gosh, I've been deceived. Come on, just lift your hands all across this place. Where are you at? Have you had a visitation of the Lord? Open the eyes. Lift the scales, Lord. Tonight, we want to know you. We want to see you. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Open my heart, Lord. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to see, I want to feel you, open my eyes. Very thankful for my testimony. Just very thankful. Ashes. It's kind of like I came out of ashes. We'll get into all of that, but I'd just cry for, for days. It seemed like I'd cry on the floor, crying out to God. And I didn't realize that in those moments that God was setting me free from things that nothing else could set me free from. See, some of you are still bound. Some of you are still broken. Some of you still try to live the one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, riding the fence type Christianity, thinking it's okay. But you don't realize what you're, what you're, what you're leaving behind is the life and life abundantly that he has for you. That, that can only be entered into by your wholehearted commitment and receiving him and, and hungering for him. Listen, God wants to give you an anointing. You know what I mean by that? An enablement, an empowerment. He wants to give you a moment that changes your life. And truth is, you can have those moments successively even from glory to glory. But don't just be a regular Christian. See, some of us have come out of such rejection so that when he doesn't come in the first 15 minutes of us crying out, then we're like, well, 
Oh, well. 15 minutes, really? Really? What, an hour? Are you willing to put yourself in a place of desperation and hunger to be touched and embraced by the arms of the master? True hunger will be willing to be laughed at, mocked at, rejected by peers. True hunger, if sincere, is fine with looking like a fool in the face of their friends or even their family. I can't get away from it. I'm going to close in a second, maybe. I can't get away from studying revival and seeing men and women who had an encounter with God that changed their lives. He said, well, can I have that? Yeah, but he'll touch you in direct proportion to the hunger that you have. Or you can stare at your phone or you can send your little snaps. You can do your little chats. You could be enamored by the grams. Ooh. How many likes did you get? You could be so consumed and sucked into Facebook. Tremendous tools, I think, for sharing the gospel and for discipleship and for pastoral care, but it's never going to satisfy you in the end. No, 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 there's no money. There's no money that can satisfy there, there's the fame, fortune. That doesn't satisfy if it did. You wouldn't read about all these people in Hollywood that are that are taking their own lives and going from their like their their 15th marriage or you know, on and on and on and fast cars and and, and on and on and on. And all that stuff can be fine as long as it's not trying to fill a hole inside your heart. There's only one thing that can fill the hole. It's no girl, it's no guy, it's not money, it's not fame. God, I'm gonna tell you, only Jesus can satisfy, only He can. He said, Well, how come he hasn't touched me yet? Maybe you're so distracted by the by the Instagramming, Facebooking, maybe you're distracted by the things of time and tradition, or or you've been dealing with your own rejection and you haven't pressed through the wounds of your father or pressed through the wounds of your home and to entered into receiving the healing touch of Jesus to have him open your eyes and speak to you and 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 touch you. You can be healed, you can be delivered, you don't have to use drugs to feel better. You don't have to cut yourself to ease the pain. There are people, there are people that cut themselves so that they don't feel the pain. I will tell you if you'll get on your knees and cry out to the one who made you. Get on your knees and cry out till he comes and causes your heart to be illuminated. Comes and invades every part of your being as you weep and cry and are held by him. Then he'll heal you of the pain as you enter into forgiveness and, and deliverance. There is demon power that is afflicting some of you and you don't realize it's demon power you just think it's your own emotions you just think it's something that well I just have to deal with it listen you don't have to deal with torment you don't have to deal with depression anymore you can be free from drug addiction you can be loose from the bonds of the enemy you can be encountered by the living God the one who made you touch you change you heal you set your heart on fire he can do it come on stand up on your feet Thrust your hands into the heavens. Come on. Call on him. Call on him tonight. Oh.
Holy Spirit touch every hungry heart and the ones that are not hungry make them hungry God you want a touch from God the minute the message ministered to you quickly step out from where you are make a line all the way across the front service is almost over quickly come quickly come quickly quickly come all the way to the front come on move your feet faster than a walk come on if you're really hungry come on come on Holy Spirit you see these you see these God we stand before you so hungry so thirsty so desperate oh God come by your anointing Holy Ghost Holy Spirit come right now come right now Holy Spirit let your fire come Holy Ghost now Holy Spirit right now as deep calls unto deep all of your water brooks go over me touch your fire come fresh anointing tablets of our heart. Let your fire come. More of your power. Come on, cry out to God in your own voice. Holy 
Holy Spirit touch right now. Holy Ghost. Yes. Holy Spirit. tonight we position our hearts to have a visitation to have habitation we want more of you I want more of you in my life come on just a moment longer service will be over I want more of you come on tell him blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be We want to go deeper. Break off rejection. Break off the wounds from fathers, from mothers. Break off wounds, Lord. Loss, grief. Lift off that, that grief in Jesus' name. 
that people would encounter you. We'd encounter you. Not our intellect. We'd encounter you. Holy Spirit, you'd set us on fire and we would quench not the Spirit's fire. That you would breathe upon us. That you would expand our hearts to know you. of your word on whom the ends of the ages have come upon us mysteries stewards of the mysteries of God we're asking you to take us deeper still that prophetic picture of the river that flowed from the temple in Ezekiel or the river of your spirit would flow in our lives in our homes undeniable demonstration for your glory not for any man's for your honor not for for anybody else's honor for the sake of the kingdom you see the torment you see the distractions on the internet and phones and you long for your people you long for your children to call upon you that you might answer us and show us great and mighty things that we know not So quicken us now. Quicken our hearts that we would put things aside. We'd lay them aside for the better, the better portion. As Mary chose the better portion, God, we would choose you, your power, your kingdom above all else. We'd do the work too, but we'd be supernaturally empowered like Saul. Like Saul, transformed, changed. I know a man, he said. I'll boast about such one. Taken up into heaven, going from glory to glory, given the visions. Lord, we want to open our eyes for visions, for dreams, that we would know you, that we would love you, that we would not hear. Get away from me, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Lord, we want to know you. We want to eat the scroll. We want to eat your word. Know your word. And tonight I pray supernaturally you'd come by your finger and touch every one of our hearts. That we would go deeper in the knowledge of God. Deeper in the things of the spirit. For not only for our own lives but all that we come in contact with. Stir a gift of the evangelist and the divine appointments within us. Thank you for what you've done tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed, those online, those listening later. If you're not right with God, do not leave this place. Don't turn off that podcast. Don't leave this place without being reconciled to him. Give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment. If you drifted, then come home. You say, that's me, Pastor. You could pray this right out loud with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Come into my life and be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a hunger for the things of the Spirit of God. Free me from every distraction, from the things that bind use me for the purpose for which I was created.
then when it's all done, I'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, again, mark us with hunger, an insatiable desire for you that can only be satisfied by you. That we would walk circumspectly knowing that the days are evil, that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We put on the Lord Jesus each and every day, walking in the armor of light, walking in the armor of God. Protect us, lead us, guide us, keep us from evil, deliver us from temptation. And we declare that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name. And the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance towards you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. Jesus.